Hello, coders. <laughs> Hello, welcome to episode 80 of the podcast, the How to Code Well podcast. Today's topic, we're going to be talking about the things that I learnt when upgrading to Symphony 5. And this is live. This is a live stream. I've decided to try it out, um, trying the podcast out live. This will obviously go to the podcast, the audio podcast, after this is done on Friday. And in today's episode, I want to talk about my journey of uh, upgrading HowToCodeWell.net to Symphony 5 from uh, Symphony 4.4, the mistakes I made, the things that I learnt whilst uh, doing this upgrade, um, the different environments that, uh, that, that caused me some issues, um, the whole process behind the upgrade, um, so the different phases of doing an upgrade, which I suppose you could probably take this with any kind of framework. It doesn't have to be with Symfony. So um, say, go talking about the planning phases, the research phase, the testing phases, the actual upgrade phase itself. Um, and then obviously the, the deployment phase. I want to talk about some of my unforeseen changes that I had to do in order to uh, get this upgrade working. Uh, things that I would do again um, and things that I won't do <laughs> next time. So let's get cracking. First up, what is uh, the system that I was actually working on? This is howtocodewell.net. This is the new replacement of uh, the old howtocodewell site, which was built in Symfony. It was pretty static um, and I've been rebuilding this live on Twitch for the past few years and the way we've we, the way we have been working on this is that I was I was building uh, obviously developing it live on Twitch using uh, Jira and um, Jira tickets uh, building out the features coming up with an MVP um, doing it in a sort of a scrummy agile kind of way and uh, we then have created like a beta environment. That environment goes off to the beta testers that then test this and then report back to me. So on the Discord server, they there is a beta testers channel that the beta testers will um, report bugs on. There's also a Trello and all sorts of other bits and pieces connected to that. Uh, so they have sort of private access to uh, the beta site. And um, this this is uh, this is now in the second phase of beta which is which is great uh, so they tested the first phase out and now it's on the second phase i should suppose i should tell you about the actual application itself that would make sense so this is going to host all of my courses um, that i've created here on youtube and, and elsewhere as well and what i would eventually like to happen is to have the ability for people to subscribe and be a member of the how to code well community and also access premium uh, videos so videos that aren't free here on youtube um, but also the thing with youtube is that um, yeah, the, the the playlists aren't particularly great, so you you can't really see a, a whole course from start to finish very well. Obviously, the search is very sort of dotted about, isn't it? So you know you could be watching uh, tutorial five of a twenty tutorial part series <laughs> uh, before you see the first part. So the platform is a way of you being able to access the tutorials 
in the whole sort of um, chronological order, I guess, um, or not chronological, the order in which the tutorials were meant to to be in, and also have access to the code as well. So it's kind of a, an education platform, I guess, that I'm building. It also has the blog, which is written in Ghost. We'll talk about uh, the technolo- tech stuff in, in just a second as, you know, the infrastructure side of things. Um, so we've got a, blo- a blog that's in Ghost. We've obviously got the podcast, which uh, goes off to um, Anchor and Spotify and uh, iTunes and other various places like that too. So this platform is, well, I've codenamed it the portal, the portal site. It's basically the portal to all the how to code well bits and pieces. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, so... This uh, let's talk about the actual application in terms of the technical side of things. How how is this all built up, and then I'll I'll sort of move into the Symphony side of it as well. So this is a static site. It's built in Gatsby JS, and uh, it's brilliant. You know the, the the whole headless CMS sort of aspect to it is is really good. So it's got a sort of a React front end. Um, the CMS and the API, they are built in Symfony. Those were the two things that I upgraded to Symfony uh, 5 from Symfony 4. It's also got, as I mentioned, a ghost uh, CMS for blog and other content um, as well. The beauty with having a headless CMS, of course, is the fact that you can deploy the CMS without having to disrupt the front end because the front end's already been built in a static way, uh, which is wonderful. Um, so, I mean, that does bring up some other challenges as well, and we might dive into some of that today too. But um, the environments are that you have production, so that's the production site. That's what's currently on howtocowell.net. Then we've got the beta site, as I mentioned. A bunch of beta testers will uh, test that out and tell me what the, what's broken. They'll, they'll try and break it, um, and successfully so. <laughs> And then obviously you have the development. So um, what I build here live on, uh, on well, when I'm doing it on Twitch, obviously, um, and I have various machines here in this office that have that website running locally that I can try various bits and pieces out. So essentially there's sort of three environments. There's also a staging environment as well, just for uh, when things are a little bit risky and I don't want to put it to beta, I would just want another environment to test. That's what I use. Uh, so we have a staging environment too. So yeah, there's, there's a number of environments. There's a lot of, um, tech involved. Uh, there's a lot of infrastructure. It was originally, it was originally, uh, built in microservices. So I'd have a different service for, um, say the course registration or say the, the user management and the authentication, they would have different services with different databases. That was the original plan. And we original we built that uh, on Twitch, but that got very complicated, very fast, as you can probably imagine. So I've kind of move things back into a little bit of a monolith. However, we still have that separation between the front end, the back end, as well as the ghost CMS. It certainly isn't where it should be. (laughs) And this is because of this upgrade, because I've had to take some time out to actually do the upgrade. Um, I'm planning to do a phased release all the way up to uh, the end of the year, at which point we'll have you know, people being able to register and subscribe on there. So it's a very small, very sort of lightweight MVP at the moment. 
Okay, so I've just mentioned that we weren't planning to do the upgrade to Symphony 5. And I suppose I should talk about why um, and why I didn't plan for that. Because, you know, Symphony 5 is, um, it's been out, out for ages. There's, they're even thinking about Symphony 6. <laughs> so Symphony 5 has been out for a very long time. Symphony 4.4 is obviously, um, uh, st- you know, stable. You know, Symphony 5 is stable, but this is like long-term sort of release stable. And um, we were working on Symphony 4 for a while, and I did a, re- a podcast a few months back uh, talking about the roadmap of uh, How to Code Well, the website, all the way up to the end of the year. And the upgrade to Symphony 5 wasn't on that that um, that roadmap path. I was originally just planning to uh, build this site and then worry about the upgrades next year in 2021. And that would also include the upgrade to PHP 8 as well. Um, so I had no intention of upgrading this. <laughs> Not one bit. Um, the the packages that I was using in our in the CMS and the API, they were working. They were very stable, uh, very well tested. So I was very happy, and I was, you know, hoping to not have to worry about an upgrade for a while because an upgrade of a system is actually very very complicated, um, depending on uh, on the project that you're uh, that you're using, of course. So. Um, it wasn't on the roadmap, but there was also another reason why I didn't want to do an upgrade, and that was because the CMS itself, which is the system that I will use to add courses, add um, resources, books, that kind of stuff, um, and you know, basically create the content f- apart from the content from Ghost, because that's coming from Ghost, but the content of the courses, the tutorials, that kind of s- the stuff. Um, the CMS itself wasn't actually tested. It actually didn't have any tests whatsoever on the CMS. The CMS was a system, is a system that only I will use to update that, uh, th- those courses. It certainly isn't going to be publicly open. It's just for me. So I was, I kind of sort of naively thought that I could get away with not having to worry about that during the upgrade. Oh boy, was I wrong. <laughs> Um, but with the knowledge of the fact that um, the CMS wasn't tested, it scared me a little bit into the th- feeling that I shouldn't be doing an upgrade because it isn't tested, because there's so many things that could go wrong. Uh, because obviously with a CMS, you've got to worry about security. You've got to worry about, you know, the, the twig, um, the, the actual UI, the front end of it, how um, the JavaScript works, the CSS is on, you know, you have to worry about the forms, you have to worry about the authentication, um, you, the translations, all of that kind of stuff. And when you're doing a big up- upgrade of a framework, all of those um, inbuilt features may or may not change. <laughs> so you're you're sort of left in this sort of weird place of without the tests, you can't actually be aware of what has broken, if anything has been broken or what has changed. Um, so I didn't really want to do an upgrade this year because it wasn't tested. Um, Also, another reason why I didn't want to do the upgrade is because the code coverage wasn't that great. Code coverage in terms of testing, in terms of unit testing, um, and acceptance testing, and API testing, at the time, it wasn't that great. And so I just, 
I just thought, you know, I'll wait until next year. I'll just wait until next year. Um, and also, to my naivety, I thought that the packages that uh, I was using um, weren't ready for Symphony 5 yet, and they were being worked on. We'll get into that a little bit more, um, because that the, this is kind of now moving into the needs of why I needed needed to had to upgrade. So the I mentioned that we have the beta site and I obviously beta is uh, one step further than production, right? Because that's what the beta testers are testing as soon as they're happy with it and as soon as I fix all the bugs with it, I'll push it up to production. Um and then I'll work on phase the next phase, phase three, and then put that to beta and, and, and so on and that's the cycle. Um the thing is that this second phase is actually quite big because this phase allows users to log in and create an account and view the tutorials and view the courses. Um, the next phase after this will be something along the lines of having your own uh, library of courses that you've seen on the website. So a way of actually storing and enrolling into courses. At the moment on production, when you select a course, you just go off to the playlist. It just directs you to the playlist on YouTube, um, which it certainly isn't where I want this to be, right? So the next phase, the phase that's in beta, that's the phase that's being tested at the moment, is the, the phase where you can actually create an account, you can log in, you can then see the tutorials from within the website. You don't go off to another YouTube and, and see it. You see it from within the website. And then the next phase, the phase on from that, will potentially have the ability to save and enroll uh, the courses that you've selected on howtocodewell.net into your own account. That's kind of the way I'm sort of going through it. It's a very slow, bitty roadmap all the way up to the end of the year where I'm hoping people will be able to access the premium courses that I have that I don't yet have on the site. So there's going to be a bit of content stocking there. But anyway, um, so this phase requires user authentication and, and authorization. There's, there's user management involved. Very lightweight user management, but there's user management involved. And this, unfortunately... There was a bug in this. There was a bug in this, unfortunately. And um, it was one of those issues. I don't really want to talk about it in in its entirety and its, you know, the complexities of it, the ins and outs of this issue, because obviously we're talking about authentication um, and security. And I don't want to give too much away. <laughs> but this bug required me to rebuild a portion of that layer, the middleware, I suppose, and it meant that I needed to bend the will of one of the packages that I was using. The package I was using, by the way, I can talk about it now because I'm not, I'm not using that package anymore. And we'll talk about that, why that is in just a second, um, was FOSS, uh, the FOSS user bundle, which is the Friends of Symphony user bundle. And there was, um, there was something in there that I needed to change and I couldn't really override it. I couldn't really sort of, um, do anything to it without actually breaking the bundle. So, so, um, and this, and this, this was preventing me from fixing a bug that I had. And I have naively used FOSS user bundle, um, for many years thinking, um, and at the time quite rightly thinking that that was highly maintained, <laughs> 
pretty much most of my projects I've had FOSS user bundle in. Um, and I've, I think I've used it from Symphony 1, back in the Symphony 1 days. And it's been really, really good. Really, really, really good. Um, I've, I've loved it. It's been such a great bundle. Um, you, you've slotted it in and then you've got user authentication. The thing is, I didn't realize, <laughs> I didn't realize that that bundle was no longer being maintained. <laughs> and it's to my own fault. This is one of my lessons that I learned. Um, when I was looking into the documentation, because I was trying to find ways of sort of bending this bundle to my will, for this particular bug, I, I thought, well, okay, I can't, I can't fix it. I wonder if anybody else has had a similar issue. So I then went, I went down the issues list in GitHub on this package and I didn't find anybody with this same issue. But what I did find (laughs) was a couple of issues that said, um, that it was no longer being maintained for Symphony 5. There were people asking the maintainers questions, you know, when will this be upgraded? Is, is there an upgrade path? And then reading through the conversations, um, people were suggesting that it wasn't wasn't being maintained. And then someone came out and outright said that it wasn't being maintained. So, and I found this through the issues. I found these deep down into the issues. Um, when I went to the readme of this bundle, there wasn't anything there. There wasn't anything there that suggested that this wasn't being maintained at all. So I was naively just thinking that this was going to be maintained. And, you know, because nobody said anything differently on the readme file, that would be fine. And I stupidly thought that for probably the best part of a year. (laughs) How embarrassing. How embarrassing. Um, (coughs) And uh, I came to this conclusion the evening of publishing this to the beta uh, site because I wanted to fix this bug. And I was like, this needs to be fixed um, tomorrow. (laughs) Otherwise, I'm not going to be able to push this up over the weekend. And I just thought, right, I'm just going to have a look through the issues lists and see if there's someone who's had the same, same problem as me. And then I discovered this. And then this kind of pushed me into the path of Ah, in order for me to fix this bug, I need to remove FOSS user bundle because I can't, you know, I, 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 there isn't anything I can do here. And then that kind of opened a huge can of worms, ginormous can of worms, um, because quite rightly, people were suggesting on the issues that you should just use Symphony Guard, right? The 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 way, the normal way that Symphony does the, the user authentication. And I obviously haven't been doing that because I've been using the FOSS user bundle because I've naive, naively thought that that was being maintained when it wasn't, when even the maintainers were saying, just use a FOSS. <laughs> God. So the lesson here is to do the research. Just because there isn't anything on the readme that says it's not being maintained doesn't mean that it's being maintained, right? So anyway, this put me into a bit of a predicament. This put me into a bit of a predicament. Um, What do I do? I need to fix this bug, right? But the only way I can fix this is either hacking on this bundle so badly and because of having the knowledge that it's not going to be maintained. I can quite happily hack on it. 
um, because nobody's going to do any updates to it. So it's just, you know, I might as well just fork it and then just hack it and, and, and happy days. Or do I do the proper thing? <laughs> and do I, do I um, take a step back and go, right, this feature hasn't even been published yet. This isn't, this isn't on production. This isn't even in beta. Uh, the user management stuff. So uh, really, I need to start from a good foundation. And I need to uh, use code that is going to be maintained going forward. If I hack on the FOSS user bundle, that's not going to be maintained. And I'm also um, diverging from how Symphony 5 actually works. So I made the decision that I should quite rightly, I think, um, remove FOSS user bundle, use the inbuilt um, uh, Symphony Guard stuff, so that, that would have to mean rewriting that whole section, the whole layer, um, which, to be honest, wasn't that difficult. And um, just because how great Symphony 5 is. Um, uh, but then at the same time, you see, I would have to do an upgrade. Uh, I would have to do an upgrade because if I just removed that bundle and then wrote the stuff myself, then I would be still writing that on an old framework. So this kind of pushed me in that direction of doing the upgrade. Um, now, how long is a piece of string? Because I had, to, I needed to get this out to beta, otherwise this would just be, you know, hanging for so long. <coughs> And um, one of the one of the fears I had was, how long is this actually going to take me to do? And I couldn't really estimate the time um, because I didn't really know what was involved. I didn't know what other packages would be affected by this. As I've mentioned, the CMS wasn't tested. The code coverage was actually quite bad. We were talking at that time. We were talking about sixty percent code coverage, uh, which which isn't great in terms of testing. Um, so I guess for the period, about a week, I suppose, I basically just coded this in the evenings and the weekends. And I just sort of, you know, nothing else, totally blinkered, just doing this work. You know, after my normal freelance shift after work, I would just be solidly doing this stuff and I'd be working well into the morning uh, to get this done. Um, and uh, yeah. Yeah, uh, I managed to get it upgraded. I've actually managed to get it deployed. It's on beta at the moment, which is great. Um, but it, it's been it's been a challenge. It's been an absolute challenge uh, with with and a massive learning curve. Some of which, which which I will talk about through now. Just going down my notes. Um, yeah, so. One of the things with the 60% code coverage, I was able to pull out, I was able to pull out some deprecations. And this is, I guess, for anybody who's doing an upgrade or a system, especially PHP stuff, uh, one thing that can really help you is to have, be aware of the deprecations that you have. Because uh, especially with Symfony, what they do is they deprecate things. They they deprecate uh, uh, f uh function calls and method calls and, and, and classes and stuff like that. Um, and they give you a warning to say, you know, it's going to be deprecated and actually it is deprecated and it's actually going to be removed in this version. 
So I was uh, looking at the 60% code coverage and I was checking the deprecations. And um, there, was a, there was a couple of things that I needed to change. There was about 27 things that I needed to, um, to sort out. Uh, but th- these were all things that I ne- didn't necessarily plan to do, right? Because my head was still, uh, you know, once this this little bug is fixed, I would just push it up to production and and off it goes. So I was really having to backpedal a lot. <coughs> Excuse me, I'm just going to grab a drink. Mm. So... What I did was I broke up the different stages of uh, the upgrade, and I've called them phases, and I'll go through those now. So the first phase of an upgrade of a framework is to plan. Don't just suddenly jump into it and go, oh, I'll just update the composer uh, JSON file and run composer update and happy days. Uh, No. So the first part is planning. Planning. Knowing what the risky parts of your system is. That is important. Um, the risky part for me was obviously, well, two main things. The CMS itself, you know, that could fall flat on its face. It wasn't tested, as I mentioned. And also the, the, the actual thing that I'm having to replace that requires this upgrade to, 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 to go forth, and that is the user management and user authentication layer. So I'm um, big risk, <laughs> big, big risk. Thankfully, it wasn't in production, so, you know, we can... It, we will be able to sniff out the bugs uh, when when they come through. So that was the risky parts, the CMS and the user sort of authentication layer. Um, there was also this sort of cap of time that I wanted to give myself because um, I didn't want to go and fall down different rabbit holes. Um, and I wanted to ensure that this upgrade this feature, this release, should only consist of things for this upgrade. <coughs> so I wasn't going to use this as an excuse to bundle this with another feature. It was just, this is going to be the upgrade. And once the upgrade's done, I would I would like to have this as a single commit, you know, a single merge, wrap it up in a bow, and then push it off. Um, I don't want this to be bundled with any other features or anything like that because that would just be an absolute headache to unpick. As I've mentioned before in other videos, if you're doing an upgrade, you really should just focus on the upgrade and not any other features. Um, otherwise, if you have to do a rollback, then you have to roll back a feature or rebuild the feature to work with the old code, and that just gets real a real headache. Um, so the way I organized my branches in terms of Git was that we have the main branch, obviously, that goes off to production. We have a develop branch. This is the branch that um, features that aren't yet ready goes off to. We also have a beta branch that is off of beta, um, and that develop gets merged into beta whenever that's ready beta then gets merged back into the main branch um, when that's ready of course and then that goes off to to prod but with the symphony stuff because i just wanted to be so super careful with this upgrade i didn't want to have any other features in this i created a branch specifically for this upgrade and uh, the removal and rewrite of fos user of the fos user bundle um, 
so that's how I organised. Um, that's how I organised the the branches. It was a, it kind of did look a little messy, um, but um, I was trying to do it very sort of um, very quickly. Well, not quickly, but I, I wanted just just have that separation between the different sort of um, f- between a feature and an upgrade, uh, essentially, because of course because the site is in production. If there was a bug down the road, I would need to fix that. If there was a bug whilst I was doing this upgrade, I would have to fix that in that branch. And I wanted that completely separate to the branch that I was working in. Um, so th- there was a couple of things that I needed to do before the upgrade. Um, and that was sort of doing that organization, doing some planning, some risk assessments, um, but also, I really wanted to get the code coverage up. Now, I'm not not a massive fan of chasing code coverage. The thing is, with code coverage, with um, unit tests, especially, well, well, anything really, any any kind of testing where you where you're actually coming up with a code coverage report, um, it might sound fantastic to get to sixty percent, seventy percent, eighty percent, even ninety percent. But the thing is that the first twenty percent is usually low-hanging fruit. It's usually the stuff that is easy to test. Um, and then the last 20% or the last 30% is usually usually the really difficult things to test. The things that are so difficult that they might actually be untestable. <laughs> um, and that's usually a pocket of code smell that you need to refactor to make it testable. So it might sound fantastic to have a really high code coverage, but the code cov- the code that you haven't covered, however small it is, is going to be the risky stuff. However, saying that, or you know, the flip side of that, of course, is the higher the code coverage, the more uh, deprecations you're going to shake out of this tree, and the more knowledge and knowledge is power, right? So the more deprecations you can find, the more code that you can adjust, the more bugs that you're not going to have to deal with later on because you 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 are aware of those deprecations because your code coverage is so big. So um I I pushed it up to 70%. Um and it was it was a bit of a chore to do that. We were going into some of the difficult parts of the code, uh, especially the stuff around the database. So, you know, co- testing the database is never easy. Um, uh, so we have, we've got something in the region of 400, well, at the moment, at the moment, we have something in the region of 420 tests. These cover uh, the unit tests. There's about 300 of those, I think. Um, then there's, uh, API tests. So these, these are testing the APIs um, and checking the responses and, and, and all of that jazz. Then we've got integration tests. So these are testing the integration between that between the system and external systems, say for instance, Ghost or say for instance, Stripe or what, what have you. Um, and also the integration of the database itself. Uh, but we've also got acceptance tests, and these are tests we, we do now. These are tests that cover that cover the CMS. So I spent a bit of time going over some of the areas that I kind of really wanted to get to grips with in terms of my testing. That took a bit of time, but it was I was able to capture deprecations that I didn't have before, 
And these deprecations, because I was fixing them and changing the classes and changing the methods and all of this stuff um, based upon what those deprecation warnings were, that meant that when the upgrade happened, I wouldn't have to deal with random broken code um, because those classes were adjusted or those methods were adjusted. So that was good. So that was the planning phase. So lots of planning, lots of um, deciding the risky parts, getting the code coverage up, just sort of giving my, getting myself all G'd up for, for this upgrade. And then came the research phase. So we know that I needed to do the upgrade specifically because of the user sort of side of the things, but what else, what else needed to be upgraded? Um, so I went through all the packages that I had, and then I had a look at if they were compatible with Symphony 5, because obviously you don't want to just suddenly do an upgrade and then realize, ah, one of your bespoke packages that you've, you've, uh, you've included hasn't actually been, uh, you know, um, isn't actually updated or compatible, I should say, for Symphony 5. That would be a blocker. So I did a, a bit of research um, to have a look at the packages that I've got versus uh, their up, their own upgrade paths to see if it was in line with this. Of course, you know, Symphony 5, it's huge, right? It's a huge framework. So I didn't have any problems with that, but still it's very, very good, especially if you're using um, any kind of like bespoke packages, like I've mentioned, to just check that. Um, and then... Uh, the things that um, the things that after an upgrade, what could I do differently? So what could I rewrite just because I've got it to Symphony Five? So there was a couple of things. Um, that there's a couple of Jira items that I've got off of the back of this, um, which is in the cleanup stage, which I'll talk about. Um, and these are things that um, you do you you do slightly differently in Symphony Five that uh, you didn't used to do in the the versions beforehand. Um, so there's, there's, there's those things and those things are causing deprecation warnings <laughs> for, for, for the next version. Um, yeah. So after the planning phase and after the research phase, um, we then have a testing phase. Uh, so notice at this stage, I haven't done any upgrades at all. I haven't done any adjustments. I'm just checking the compatibility of things. The, the next phase is the testing phase. This is one of many testing phases. And in brackets, I've written, can this be done? <laughs> so you need to have some, um, some foresight to actually think, you know, can this upgrade actually happen? Can I actually do this? Um, and the best way to to do that is by having some tests, running some reports. It's always good to have some feedback to say, yes, you are ready to do this upgrade. So, for example, make sure all the tests are passing. OK, this sounds obvious, but you want to have you don't you don't want to be doing an upgrade on a system where you've got tests that don't pass because you're not going to know whether they work or don't work in the next version or if the versions change that. So you want to make sure that you have 100% passing tests in your test suite. Um, that gives you stable ground to walk on, of course. And then um, I wanted to ensure that all of the APIs were tested. I wanted to ensure that um, more acceptance te tests were added. This is um, this is me getting this up to seventy percent code coverage. 
Um, and we then create, as I mentioned, created that, uh, that branch and also fixed all the deprecation warnings that I could possibly find and then run the test suite again. Has it broken? Um, and make sure that, you know, everything is passing. And at that point, we've got a green light. We're good. We're good. Um, we've done what we can in order for this upgrade to happen. Now, obviously, there's other things involved, like, you know, backing up the database um, and other bits and pieces like that, which is just usual stuff. So I won't talk about that, but that's just everyday bits and pieces, backing up the assets, backing up the uh, the code, backing up the database. Um because, you know, who knows, there could be a database change when one of the other packages needs to be upgraded for this. Okay, so after the first testing phase, we then move into the upgrade phase. So this is where we're actually now performing the upgrade. The first thing I did, obviously, because this was blocking the upgrade to Symphony 5, um, was I removed the FOSS user bundle. And as soon as I removed that, everything broke. <laughs> Um, well, uh, not everything. A lot of things broke. Uh, so, for instance, one of the one of the things that I was using and leaning heavily on was the user manager in the FOSS user bundle. If you've ever used FOSS user, that is one thing that uh, is 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 integral in your system. So, the FOSS user uh, manager, the, the manager, the user manager deals with things like encoding passwords, deals with things like um, setting saving uh, emails, uh, usernames, and all of that jazz. So it's quite integral. So, um, and also the forgotten passwords and all that jazz. So yeah, it's quite a, quite a big thing, quite a big thing. So I removed that, I ran the tests, a lot of things failed, as you could imagine. But it was very interesting to actually see those failing uh, tests, because it highlighted areas of my code that I didn't necessarily anticipate were actually connected to that um, to the parts of FOSS user, um, and it was interesting to see the how broad-reaching those things were, or how broad-reaching I allowed my code to be. Um, that also highlighted some code smells, because there were some some things where I was injecting, doing some dependency injection in the wrong way. I was injecting some of the bits and pieces from that bundle. Um, whereas what I should possibly be doing was creating some ad adapters and adapting into that or for some facades or something like that, um, or just uh, putting in the, uh, the the interface, you know. So it was highlighting all of those, all those bits and pieces. So after I removed the FOSS user bundle, I then quickly upped all of the uh, package constraints of Symfony in composer.json. Um, to Symphony uh, 5.1. I then ran the upgrade again. I had to do this a couple of times because um, there were there were things that the other packages that were preventing this from going up. So I had to adjust those too. So every time I was running this, I was coming up with some issues. And the uh, you know composer is fantastic. It tells you you know why you know it, it gives you a suggestion as to what to do. Um, so I was following those suggestions, and it, it, four or five times I kind of tripped up, to uh, tripped up on that. But eventually we got it all all the way up to Symphony Five One, um, which was great. Obviously the FOSS user um, didn't exist anymore. Uh, <laughs> so once we got to that stage, we then ran all the tests again. That was my new sort of benchmark. 
to see the amount of bugs that, or the amount of failing tests that I needed to fix. Um, what, however I dealt with the replacement of FOSS user, those had to be fixed. <coughs> so um, this was the longest part of this, this, uh, this journey, the upgrade phase, because I ended up having to rewrite a load of stuff um, and uh, we we were just fighting through the tests. I think we had something in the region of uh, 70 failing tests. And it was one of those things where you would fix one bug and 10, 10, um, 10 issues would just suddenly disappear. Uh, or you fix one bug and then you would get another 20 issues. <laughs> so it was, it was one of those sort of one of those sort of whack-a-mole type, type affairs, but we managed to get it down. And in fact, the last two bugs were the most difficult bugs out of them. Um, but uh, but that, that, that was okay. We ma- I managed to, to, to do this in approximately 110 changes, file changes. That's how big it is. That includes the testing as well. So that was, that was how brutally large this change was. Um, which it's kind of, thinking about it now kind of just highlights how um, how broad reaching this was, and how probably this could have been handled better. And if I was to create certain services for this, so I wasn't relying strictly on the FOSS user bundle. I was, like I said, using some sort of means of an adapter, which meant that all I would have to do was just change the uh, the the thing that I was adapting to rather than the adapter itself. Um, anyway, so once the upgrade phase was done, which took a long time, but once we managed to get um, all the bits and pieces uh, rebuilt, it was then time to then do another testing phase. So this, once the upgrade has been completed locally, I then had to run all of the tests again. And then once they all passed, I then did some manual testing. And um, this was this was kind of like just, uh, you know, clicking through the content management system, clicking through the front end, that kind of stuff, um, making API calls with Postman. And lo and behold, there were issues. Now, we managed to get 100% passing tests, uh, but I was still finding issues. And this was highlighting the fact that my tests weren't good enough. The 422 tests I had on the system were not um, defining the specification of the code correctly. So this meant that um, that there was two options. I could either just fix the code um, and not have the tests test that code or I created a test to replicate that broken feature and then I fixed it and then I rerun the test and if that passed, that would verify that I fixed that. That's what I did. That's another reason why it took a little bit longer than I would have liked is because the amount of things that I found manually that were broken um, that my tests didn't have. And I tell you what, one thing that really tripped me up in this whole process was the configuration, the configuration of uh, that bundle and the configuration of Symphony itself. Because um, you, you can't really, when you're doing unit tests 
and when you're doing even API tests, if you're not really doing a full acceptance test where you're touching the whole thing, the whole broad sweep from controller down to view, if you're not doing that, you're not actually including all of the configuration. You're not building the cache. You're not, you know, there's there's lots of things you miss out from doing unit tests um, and API tests. So the manual test, the eyeball test, the clicking through the pages, that proved a lot of that. A lot of things came out of the woodwork with that, um, which I ended up having to write a test to make sure that that was actually, you know, I was I was replicating that issue, and then I would fix the code, and then I would run the test again. That test would pass, and and there we go. So we started this process with about three hundred and seventy-five tests. We now have four hundred and twenty-two just because of that rinse and repeat process. Um, but now I can say that I'm, you know, I'm confident with the code now because I actually have the ability to uh, run those tests and that they all pass, which is all good. Um, so uh, I've got a, a note here, finding issues and writing tests to replicate the issues automatically. Um, use this time as a means to harden your testing suite. So once that test was done, um, bearing in mind we're still in this isolated branch, um, which is our upgrade branch, it's now time to merge this branch into the main branch. And luckily it was a one-to-one, right? Because, you know, obviously this upgrade branch was had a higher commit number than the, the, the main branch, but there was nothing... I, I didn't add anything to the main branch um, during this process. But imagine, if you will, you were working in a team and the main branch was going in one direction and the upgrade branch was going in a different direction. Um, and then you had to bring them all together. At this point, you would have to do a merge of the main branch back into your upgrade branch, run the tests to bring it up to speed, and then, then do the merge um, from your upgrade branch into the main branch so your main branch would be at the point of the upgrade so yeah i i did all that and then i did some more testing i ran the suite again once it was all on the main branch um ran the suite again everything was fine i then just decided to do some more manual testing um and that proved okay um and then because we have the headless cms um what i did was i rebuilt the front end locally I rebuilt the front end locally um, and then I did some manual testing on the front end because obviously the, the Symfony, the APIs all changed, the CMS had changed. Um, I needed to rebuild the front end to just make sure that it was still rebuilding correctly. Um, as I mentioned, it's, uh, it's, it's running in Gatsby. Um, so it was making API calls as the Gatsby site was building. So I needed to make sure they were okay. Um, and then came the deployment phase. <laughs> So once once I had the green light, I gave myself the green green light with the on 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 local. Once the main branch was up to date with the upgrade branch, once all the tests were passing, once I was able to do some manual testing, click through the code, click through the pages, sorry, um, run some API tests manually. Once I was happy with all of those things, um, it was time to deploy. So the first thing I did, as I mentioned, we have this staging sort of environment. I pushed it up to staging just because I wanted to make sure that there was nothing wrong with the deployment um, uh, 
the deployment itself. So there's a deployment script. All of this is done in Ansible and Terraform. Um, but there's obviously uh, uh, coders configuration in the sense of you've got your your configuration variables, your environment variables, all of those kind of things. Um, luckily, there wasn't any change to those, but I, you know those could be wrong. <laughs> so I deployed to uh, the the staging. I then found, unfortunately, some issues with the config. Uh, which I had to fix, and then I redeployed. I then made sure the config was correct on beta, and then I deployed from um, you know from local up to beta, and then I just immediately, immediately did some manual testing, and everything seemed okay. Everything seemed fine, um, and I was it was one of those sort of pinch yourself kind of moments. It felt like I I, I had walked this very steep hill and I just had got to the top and it was like, wow, did I actually do that? So, um, so that was the phases. That was the process. And obviously this is still on beta. It's not on production yet. So production is still running Symphony 4, 4.4 and uh, beta is running Symphony 5, but it's, it's pretty much ready to rock, ready to go. Um, with beta, I want to give it some more time just to, you know, for people to, to get some eyes on it and to test it a little bit more. Um, but I'm, I'm fairly happy with it. There's other, other bits and pieces that I need to do outside of this, uh, before I actually get this up to, to production anyway. Um, so that's fine. It probably won't happen for another, another week or two. I'm a freelancer, so I have a lot of stuff that I do during the day, which isn't anything to do with how to code well. It's to do with my, business. So time is very, very short. Um, so when I say it takes me a day to do something, that's actually split over many evenings. <laughs> so it doesn't actually take me a whole 24 hours or a whole eight hours of a day. It takes me several hours over several evenings, but then sort of that's worth a day's work, I suppose you would call it. So now I want to talk about some unforeseen changes. <laughs> So these are this this is areas that um areas of the deployment process, the upgrade grade process that I never thought I would need to do. Um and it was one of those there was some of these moments where I was like, This this was a bad bad idea. <laughs> this was a bad, bad idea. I shouldn't be doing this. Uh so one of the things that I needed to do was I needed to install some PHP extensions. On to because I didn't mention this first, but um, all of this is done in Docker, so you've got Docker containers for all of these things, right? Um, and so, so, so we've got obviously a Docker image, and we have these Im- the, the the images using the multi-stage uh, builds um, in in Docker, and I needed to have an extension for the HTTP exceptions. Um, because there was a change, I believe, in Symphony Five that wasn't in Symphony Four, and I needed to uh, anyway. I needed to I needed to have um, some PHP extensions installed. <coughs> Unfortunately, these extensions um, uh, were through Peckle, which is a pain to ins- to 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 uh, install. If you're installing any extensions, um, then uh, Peckle is just painful, painful to do because you need to install dependencies. You need to install libraries. (laughs) 
So there was a massive change to the Docker image itself, um, which meant that I had to rebuild the containers, do a complete refresh of, of the of the containers on beta, which is what I'm going to have to do on production. So uh, that was painful. That took a long time to just sort of get right. Um, so these extensions required libraries, so the Docker image needed to be rebuilt. And also FOSS REST, uh, I'm using that as well as, a, as an extension here, um, that the config there changed in Symfony 5, um, and so I needed to rewrite the exception handler. Okay, I'm going backwards here. So, sorry, sorry. FOSS REST needed to change because of the configuration, um, and uh, that meant that I had to rewrite the exception handler, which meant that I needed to have these extensions. That's 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 the flow of it. Um, so it was kind of one of, one of the. It's like a domino effect. So you 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 knock a domino, and then suddenly all these dominoes fall over, and you have to sort of stack them back up again. So yeah, phosphorus uh, needed cha- changed due to the upgrade, um, and then there was a lot of leftover FOSS user bundle configuration that I didn't actually uh, get to see unless I did the manual testing. Um, lots of YAML, uh, lots of Twig um, stuff that I wouldn't necessarily see through maybe an acceptance, uh, through an API test. Um, so I, they only came apparent to me through through manual, manual testing. Um, there were some other issues as well. Um, some lots of things that um, unfortunately I don't have my PHP debugger working on on uh, on the laptop at the moment. I'm using PHP Storm, and I haven't got that working at the at this present second because it's adjusted to another project. <laughs> so I need to readjust it to the project to to how to code well. But as I mentioned, I'm a freelancer, so um, you know most of my gear is is geared towards. The freelance projects, not how to code well, unfortunately. Um, but it would be it would be beneficial to get that debugger working because there was a lot of things I was doing, a lot of embarrassing things I was doing. I was doing var dumps in API calls just to get back the data. Um, whereas what I should have been doing is is using a remote debugger and um, running through sort of xdebug and stepping through that way. <laughs> But as I mentioned, I don't have that set up yet. Um, so what what would I do again? Um, you know, if I was to do this again, which I will do, obviously, I need to upgrade to Symphony 6 whenever that comes out. Um, what would I do again? So the first thing I would definitely do is have more C- uh, CMS acceptance tests. Definitely, 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 definitely. Um, even if they're just like tests, like just checking the status code to make sure that they're 200 okay or, or whatever they should be, um, you know, if they're 500 or 400, that's a massive issue. Um, so even if it was just touching a page, crawling a page, checking the status code, that to me is is a good test. Um, and then obviously have a higher code coverage. Um, and th- this is a... Because I think I did a, a video a while ago where I said that you shouldn't be chasing code coverage um, because, as I mentioned you have the last 20% of your code coverage is going to be far dif- more difficult um, than the first 20% of your code coverage because the last 20% of your code coverage is going to be all the code that is very difficult to test because perhaps it's untestable because it, it's a code smell. It needs to be refactored. Um, however, I, I'm now thinking, I'm now changing my opinion on that. Um, yes, that's that's the statement is correct that it's the last 20% is more difficult than the first 20% sure 
But um, the statement of not chasing code coverage, not chasing 100% code coverage, I think I'm going to change. Um, I don't think 100% code coverage gets you into this false sense of security. You know, all my code is changed, all of my code is tested, therefore I'm not going to get any bugs. That's certainly simply not the case. But the more code you can cover, the more deprecation warnings you can see, the more or the less stressful the upgrade is going to going to be. So we we've now got it to about 70% code coverage. I would love it to be 80%. I would love it to be 90% or 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 more. Um, I did say that I wasn't going to do an upgrade until it got to 80%, but I really couldn't hold this off, um, unfortunately. And also another thing that I would do is get my debugger fixed. I shouldn't have done any of this without a debugger. Um, I would have saved a lot of time if I had just... If I had spent a day fixing my debugger, <laughs> I would have probably saved a day in fixing bugs and doing var dumps and all of this stuff in API calls, all that ridiculousness. Um, and I guess this really highlights why testing code is good. Uh, testing code is, is really, really beneficial. Um, yeah. So, <laughs> excuse me, let me grab some, a, a drink. So I'm, I'm going to ask answer some questions um, that I have on the chat here. Uh, do you think people who have started learning Laravel is it worth uh, it to switch to Symphony uh, due to job offers in their countries? I mean, I'm worried if uh, you spent your days um, at uh, grinding and it will be useless. <laughs> um, hmm. Yeah, so you'll see on uh, lots of YouTube channels, you'll see, um, that's a very good question. You'll see on lots of YouTube channels, lots of people saying, you should learn this, you should do this, you should, you know. I I don't really like that um, because a lot of the times people don't take into consideration um, the circumstance and also the culture of where that person is. It's It's not the same everywhere, right? Um, and it's it's very different in different um, regions. Like even in here in the in the UK here, um, it's it's more PHP down in the southwest. It's probably totally different up in the north, um, and also in different industries. So, for instance, it's more Python based in fintech, and more PHP based in e-commerce and more Python-based in security. So it's very, very different. Um, but we're talking about Symfony and we're talking about Laravel. The thing is, my opinion is that um, uh, do whatever you think you're going to get the job for. If you know Symfony, you obviously know PHP. If you know PHP, you're going to be able to pick up Laravel very quickly and vice versa. Um, you know, you, the the two things translate very easily. So if you're just learning to code at this present moment, I would just pick one. It doesn't matter if it's Laravel. It doesn't matter if it's Symfony. Um, but I would take a temperature check of the um of the the surrounding market and see you know what kind of e-commerce companies um 
that are around you or whatever companies that you want to get into 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 this industry um, and get a temperature check on whether or not they are symphony based or laravel based it makes sense if if all the companies around you are primarily symphony based it makes sense to make that switch to symphony um, if on the other hand they are they're mostly laravel based it makes sense to continue with laravel the thing is the first the biggest challenge any um, new developer has one of the biggest challenges. There's loads of challenges, of course. One of the biggest challenges is to get your foot in the door, get your first job. So you want to be learning something that a lot of people, a lot of companies around you are already using. In my opinion, that just makes sense. So um, due to job offers, yeah, <laughs> definitely, definitely. There's no point in learning um, uh, something that uh, you're not going to uh, ever get a job in, right? Or or get a job in in your first in your first place. But as I said, I mean, I've been I've been a PHP dev for about twenty years. So once you know PHP, you can quite easily pivot and shift to different frameworks. Um, you know, at the moment, I'm probably working on about you know two or three. So. It's, uh, but getting the first job, getting the first thing on your CV is very, very important. So you want to be doing, um, you want to want to be working on a framework that um, is very popular in wherever you're, you're first getting your job. It's very different in different regions, very different in different countries. Um, and, you know, it's the same in, in, every, in any language. Certain places prefer Django to Flask, for instance. But yeah, that was a very, very good question. Um, so I've got two announcements uh, to make. The first one is that uh, next Thursday I will be speaking at Drupal Yorkshire. That's uh, Thursday the 15th, and I'm going to be talking about Docker multi-stage builds. Um, I will I will talk about this more on the podcast after the after that talk and I'll provide my slides and everything like I normally do. Um, and also the second one is that there is a 20% off um, at the moment at uh, How to Code Well, the merch shop on Teespring, using the uh, discount code OCT, OCTOCODA. <laughs> O-C-T-O and then CODA. So you can get 20% off the merch there if you go to howtocodewell.net forward slash shop forward slash merch. Right. Thank you ever so much for watching. I'm going to shoot off and uh, <laughs> this has been weird. This has been odd doing this live, but uh, I've enjoyed it. I've enjoyed it. I've enjoyed it. If you've got any more questions, though, please let me know. Put your thoughts down in the comments if you've got any. Um, if you've also got a suggestion for other topics as well, then please do let me know too. But anyway, I'm going to uh, leave that there. Happy coding, everybody. <laughs>